Let's give the worship team a hand this morning. I, I so appreciate Callie and her team and everything that they do for us. And um, I know I am so thankful to come in every single Sunday morning and just have that sense of confidence about our worship team and how they really do lead us into God's presence. And if we come with open hearts, we're able to reach out to God in a very powerful way in and through worship. Well, this morning, um, what I want to do at the outset before I step into the teaching I want to make mention of the word for today that we have out front. Were you handed these when you came through the door? No. I don't see them, so I I know that they're out there in the foyer. I really want to encourage you to grab these. These are daily devotionals called Word for the Day. We purchase these so that you can take one for yourself. And also, if there's an individual in your life who's kind of had big questions about faith, maybe isn't a person of faith, but you're trying to connect with them and share your faith story with them, I really want to encourage you to take one of these and give one to them. These devotionals are highly applicable to life. The writer of them does a great job, and so these kind of go in a quarterly fashion. So June, as you know, will be beginning this week, and so if you're used to getting these or you've never gotten one before, please make sure that you get them before you exit the property. They're available for you out on the Bible case as you leave this room. The other thing I would like for us to do this morning is I would like for us to take just a moment and really be mindful of what this weekend's about. This weekend is one of those weekends where we remember the sacrifice of men and women through Memorial Day tomorrow, but we, we remember the sacrifice of men and women who have served in our armed forces. I think when we stand before days like this, I realize that there are people who have different opinions about what's happened But what I want to say very emphatically, the reason why people have the freedom to have different opinions is because those who have served for us. Does that make sense to us? I feel that in my heart. I feel that in my heart. And so I think it's very wise for us to pause and to be thankful for the sacrifices that were made for our freedoms. I think it's huge. And so what we're going to do this morning is that if there are people that are here and you are in active duty, I want you to stand. We're going to start with you. If you're here and you are in active duty, I'm going to ask that you would stand. Is there anybody here in active duty? Let's give a hand. I have to be honest with you, I always regret that this is a weekend where a lot of our church family are on vacation because I think it's so important to honor people who have served our nation. Now, for those of you who are veterans who have served in any form or fashion in the armed forces, please go ahead and stand at this time. Let's give them a hand as they stand. And I know that applause isn't something you look for, but please remain standing. Please stand again. And there's a reason for this. We know and we are becoming more and more aware of the lasting effects of serving in the military and how it can cause chaos in people's minds and emotions. We know that. In the most recent wars, we've, we know that people are taking their lives at an alarming rate. But I believe that Jesus can intervene and bring healing and wholeness. I believe that. There are ministries that our churches have been involved with over the years that specifically target people. We have individuals who are part of City Church who have received training to help people who are exiting military service and are struggling. That's huge. It's so important. But while you're standing, maybe you're not struggling, but we're going to pray with you and pray for you. And you will stand in our midst as men and women who are struggling because of their service. And we're going to ask God to bring healing. And maybe you are struggling. We're going to ask God to touch your heart and life. To the rest of us, does this make sense? We're going to pray and ask God to touch hearts. So 
Would you join with me in prayer over the men and women that are standing in this auditorium? Let's pray together. God, I know that life at times brings things our way that we could have never planned on. And I know for many of the men and women that are standing in this auditorium, their service for this country, many of whom followed the call of God to serve, Lord, they need your touch, they need your help, they need your healing. And it's incredible to think that we can stand in this public place, that we can worship in this public place, and that these men and women that are standing here and have served have fought for our freedom to do this. So we don't take it lightly. And now we pray over each one of them that as they have served and maybe even sensed your calling to serve, that you would bring healing over their minds and over their hearts. Lord, if any of them in this auditorium are struggling, we pray that you would be their peace. That you would be their peace that passes all understanding that is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord, we also, as we pray over them, we are mindful of the friends of ours and family members and extended friendships through the network of relationships of our lives where we know of people who have served and are deeply, deeply struggling because of what they were involved with and what they have seen. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring healing and that you would bring wholeness and hope and peace and that you would somehow, some way, bring soundness of mind. Jesus, you guarantee us that in the midnight of the soul that you will be with us. But we pray a special blessing of the, over those individuals who are struggling because of their service. We pray that you would undergird them even this morning. And could it be said that over Memorial Weekend that these people were healed and made whole. Jesus, thank you for the hope that we have in you. Again, bless these men and women in this auditorium that have served. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. And amen, you may be seated. Thanks again. Let's give them a hand for their service. For those of you who may be unaware, Memorial Day actually began as Decoration Day following the Civil War. There were those who felt it was important to remember and to commemorate those who had lost their lives, and so towns and communities began to have a day of decoration where they would go to cemeteries and put flowers and flags there, and at the turn of the 20th century, a lot of those days and events began to coalesce into one, and we now call that Memorial Day. If you are unaware of stories of people who have served, and many of you are aware, but if you're not, I did something kind of in preparation for my own heart for this weekend. I found an incredible cachet of stories. Online, you can go to the Library of Congress, and the Library of Congress in the year 2000 received finances to go out and to gather stories of men and women who had fought in the many, many different wars. They have over 100,000 stories that have been cached. You can go on there and read and read about the interviews and the collection of the data of these men and women who have served so faithfully. Again, I want to encourage you to maybe do that. I know that war for many of us can be morbid, but I think it's essential that we are never untethered from those who fought for our freedoms. I think it's critical. I think it's important that we would do that. And so I'd really encourage you, if you're not aware of stories, to go to the Library of Congress website and you can find those stories there. What I want to talk about this morning is another teaching where we're going to look at the day of Pentecost in Scripture. I'm going to encourage that you would do this with me. If you have a Bible or a smartphone or you utilize the Bible that we provide, if you could go ahead and grab that Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 2, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Before we read Acts 2, 1, 
What we need to be aware of is the episode that we're getting ready to read was something that was commanded by Christ. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus said to his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait, and their power will come upon you. Also in the book of Acts, we can pick it up in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus is quoted here as saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what we have here is Christ announcing to his disciples before the day of Pentecost that there would be power that would come upon them. That power wouldn't be for their warm fuzzies. That power would come upon them to give them the authority that they would need to take the gospel of Jesus all over the world. The day when the Holy Spirit falls is called the day of Pentecost. So let's pick up our reading in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, we read as follows, beginning with verse 1. You'll notice the heading says, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Now, what is Pentecost before we read? Pentecost was a mandated Jewish feast that God announced that all Jewish people should celebrate. The day of Pentecost or the feast of Pentecost was to commemorate and to celebrate what was known as Feast of Harvest. It's where in an agricultural community, people would come before God, they would bring their first fruits, they would bring the first harvest, and they would bring it before God and offer it as an offering to God, as an acknowledgement that God is a God who supplies their needs, but it was also in the form of a prayer that the rest of the harvest would come in. It was a way of trusting God. It was a way of saying to God that I'm not going to eat everything that you bless me with. Instead, I'm going to give some back to you as worship. It also had become the day to commemorate the giving of the law of Moses. Moses, as most of you know him, you know him as Charlton Heston. The movie Ten Commandments. Where Charlton Heston slash Moses goes up on the Mount Sinai. While Moses is up on Mount Sinai, the book of Exodus tells us the incredible story of how Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and fire comes down. And the Mount of God, Mount Sinai, is shaking, literally shaking. And Moses is up there receiving the law, the Ten Commandments, while the people are down below watching. You see, Pentecost, penta, that word means 50, and it was 50 days after the people of God exited the captivity of Egypt. It was 50 days later that Moses finds himself up on Mount Sinai, and he's receiving the law of God. And so the day of Pentecost meant many things, but at the time of Jesus, it had become that celebration of the giving of the law of Moses, or the Ten Commandments. And remember... When the commandments were given, the mountain was shaken. There was smoke that filled the entire mountain and hid Moses from sight. And the Older Testament tells us that there was lightning and fire on the mountain of God. It must have been an awesome sight. As a matter of fact, the people have been warned, don't approach the mountain because if you touch the base of the mountain, you will die instantly because the holiness and the righteousness and the power of God has come down to connect with Moses. And so we pick up Acts chapter 2 verse 1. Here's what the scripture tells us. When the day of Pentecost came, picture this, for 1,500 years, Jewish people had been celebrating the day of Pentecost. They'd looked in the rearview mirror and every year for 1,500 years had looked into history and given thanks to God for His deliverance from the slavery to the Egyptians. That the the chains of bondage had been broken over their slavery and God had led them into the promised land that we know as Israel that piece of property that's about the size of New Jersey. And so the Scriptures tell us in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, that when the day of Pentecost came, 
Imagine all the Jews are in, are in Jerusalem celebrating the giving of the law of Moses. But also what had happened, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus had challenged his disciples to gather together and to wait for the Holy Spirit. And Jesus in resurrected body had been going around, touching each one of his disciples and calling them to gather together to wait for the power of God that had been promised in Acts 1.8. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Some of you who read the King James Version It says that they were all in one accord. Here's a very lame pulpit joke. Did you know that the disciples drove Hondas? They were in one accord when the disciples... Okay. Verse 2. Let's read on quickly. Suddenly from heaven. Here's what the Bible says. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from where? Heaven. It's exactly the same place they had seen Jesus ascend to. He had ascended to heaven. Now, from the place where Jesus had ascended, now there's the sound like the the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were seating. The Bible tells us that there were 120 They were in the upper room. Could you imagine? This sound comes from heaven and they're seated there and it fills the entire house where they were. Verse 3. It says, They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The Bible tells us, if you were to read on, that they pour out of that upper room, and as they do, a crowd gathers. People hear them speaking in other tongues, and those Galilean Jews are speaking in languages they have never learned, and the crowd gathers around. It blows their mind, and by the end of the Apostle Peter's sermon, 3,000 men had accepted Christ and became followers of Jesus. Now, when we look at this story, it's an incredible one. But I want us to know beyond the shadow of a doubt, this is the beginning of the church. You are tied to this story. There would be no church if it were not for the day of Pentecost. You are tied to it, and so am I. Can you imagine? For 1,500 years, Jews had gathered in Jerusalem, and they had looked into history and remembered in minute detail about the exodus of Moses and the giving of the law of Moses and how God had provided for them as they had traveled throughout that wilderness for 40 years. Whenever they gathered together, they looked back and they remembered. It was about history It was about what God had done and how they were connected to it. Now the question must be, why when they were in the upper room was it filled with this mighty rushing wind? Why is it that something came from heaven and filled the place? There's a sense that it was a cloud that filled the place. And then what seemed to be the Spirit came down like tongues of fire and began to rest on each and every individual that was there. Why? Here's why. The God of the Exodus was screaming to the disciples. The same God that set you free from Egypt is now coming upon you. You see, the Mount Sinai had lightning and fire. It shook with the force and the power of God. And now 120 followers of Jesus are in a room. And while they're in that room, God announces visibly, I'm the same God that met Moses. Now I'm meeting you. Make no mistake, it's the same God. And not only was that God meeting them, He was meeting them individually. The tongues of fire began to break apart and rest on each person that was in the upper room. God was individually touching people and moving in their lives and in their hearts. 
From that, they began to speak in new tongues. Now, here's what I think becomes so key for us to understand. God is saying to the followers of Jesus, listen, what is in the past is critical. Don't ever connect yourself from it. But you cannot repeat the past. You can remember it. You can take joy in the past, but you cannot repeat it. And I believe what God was saying to those disciples and to you and I who are followers of Jesus, that God has given us a power to where we can expect God to do incredible things beyond anything we could have ever, ever imagined. Now here's what I know. Some of us, when we hear about tongues, we think to ourselves, no way. Let me tell you a little bit about my spiritual history. Just before my teenage years, my mother gave her heart to Christ. She gave her heart to Christ because my parents' marriage was falling apart. They ended up staying together. But my parents' marriage was falling apart. And my oldest brother had almost had to have his leg amputated due to a bone marrow infection. Things were literally, the wheels were coming off. My mother played in a bridge club. I never understood bridge, but she did it a lot. And she was part of this bridge club, and there was a woman who was part of that club who was a chain smoker and was dying of MS and told my mom about Christ. My mother had been born and raised in Yorkshire, England, and knew nothing about the gospel. Nothing. But this woman shared Jesus with my mom, And my mom recognized she couldn't do life alone. And so she began to go to this church where this woman attended church. And it was what was called a storefront Pentecostal church in a town called Appleton, Wisconsin. My mom began to make us go. Let me tell you what, when you're living out on a farm and your husband is an executive and he's traveling weeks on end and you've got three boys, the youngest is preteen, and the other two are teenagers, you know you need God and so do they. <laughs> so there was no discussion. We started to go to church. And so I went to the storefront Pentecostal church. You have to understand, we were completely on church. I mean, this was like going from zero to a million miles an hour. I remember going to this church and sitting there, and the church was filled with hippies. It was the end of the hippie movement, and hippies had been sexed out, drugged out, rock and rolled out. They'd had all the rebellion they could handle and were completely empty, and hundreds of thousands of hippies all across the United States were coming to faith in Jesus. It's called the Jesus Movement. And at the end of the Jesus Movement, here we are sitting in this storefront Pentecostal church. I remember sitting in there, and I heard tongues for the first time. You talk about freaking someone out. I was an introverted farm boy. And I'm sitting in there, and people were speaking in tongues. Now, a lot of people say tongues can be faked. Not this. You see, in the church that we attended, they had a 100-voice deaf choir. These people would put on white gloves, they would crank up the bass in a song, they would shut off all the lights, and you would see, actually it was 50 people, so you'd see a hundred hands moving sign language in perfect unison at the front of this church. They had a big deaf outreach. And so on Sundays, they would do a special once in a while where the lights would be turned off. They'd put a green light up or a fluorescent light or whatever it was, and you would see a hundred hands move in unison to some worship song. And it was powerful. But as a young boy, the deaf people scared me. Especially when you would go into this little closet where all of the coats would get stacked. I would go to get my coat, and I was an introverted farm boy. And these deaf people would try to communicate with you. Well, they would kind of pin me in that coat closet and say, how are you doing? But it was always with slurred speech. I couldn't understand them. It completely freaked me out. And I really dreaded when they would try to speak to me. 
But if I tried to walk away, my mom would smack me. So I had to stand there, and and it was just painful for me. How many of us sitting here have heard someone who's deaf try to speak? Have you heard that? Speech is slurred. It's incoherent a lot of times. I remember sitting in that church, and the pastor preached on the Holy Spirit, on speaking in tongues. When the Holy Spirit fell, those deaf people began to speak in tongues. But it was completely coherent. It was not slurred at all. And what I knew, even as a preteen boy, that was a miracle. Those people had never heard speech, most of them. And yet when the Holy Spirit fell, they began to speak in other tongues, and it was clearly articulate language. Clearly. And I might have been dumb, but I sat there and went, this is real. And from that moment on, I knew that tongues was something that God would give to people. Now, you're sitting there going, people that speak in tongues are weird. That's what most of you think. That makes me weird. I speak in tongues every day. Every day. Do you still think everyone who speaks in tongues is weird? Don't answer that. Keep that to yourself. But the Bible says God gives us this gift. There's a public expression of it, but there's also, more importantly, a private one. The private expression of tongues, according to Scripture, is there to edify the believer in their walk with Jesus. It's a powerful thing. It's real. I experience it every day. God has given us these gifts of the Holy Spirit. The other question that has to be asked is why language? Why would God give the gift of tongues? What would the point of that be? Why wouldn't God do something differently? And I have pondered that. I've studied that. I've read it over. I'm a closet theologian. And here's the best that I can come up with. God is a God of relationship. And language is the center of relationship. And so if God intervenes and God moves through language miraculously, it's there because God wants to be in the midst of the relationships of our lives. That's what God wants to do. And so what we read here is that these tongues of fire come down and rest on each of them. And they began to speak in other tongues. And if we read on in Acts 2, you would find out that they stumble into the streets and people can hear what they're saying. And they look at these Gentile Jews, I'm sorry, these Galilean Jews, and they know that they don't speak those languages. And yet everyone who's in Jerusalem are hearing languages spoken from all over the known Jewish world, and it blows their mind. God does that miracle. Here's what I want to say is more important than anything else. This is the key. This is a God who will not be placed in a box. He refuses. And I would say this. I don't want a God who can be put in a box. I don't want that God. I would like a God who can move personally and individually in the midst of relationship. And so God moves in hearts, moves in lives, and there are those individuals through the power of the Holy Spirit that begin to speak in other tongues. It's a gift from God. It's a a gift that God gives us, that gives us power, and it gives us authority. I want to say something very carefully. This is key. Some people sitting here would say, then aren't there first-class citizens? And second-class citizens. No, absolutely not. I believe God gave me this gift because He knew I could not survive without it. That's why I think God gave it to me. It was a gift of grace that God placed in my life and gave me because He knew I desperately needed this because of the call that He'd placed in my heart and in my life. I wouldn't make it without it. And so I don't think it's in anything to do with first-class citizens. 
or second-class citizens in God's kingdom at all. I think it's a gift of grace that God gives when He desires to do that. And when He does, my prayer is that you and I would be open to receive it and to move in it and to move through it. Here's what I know. Book of Acts tells us that there are 120 dejected, defeated groups of people. There's 120. They're in the upper room. They're completely dejected and defeated. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They begin to speak in other tongues. And the church never looks back. Picture this. Could you ever dream that 120 dejected people would be in a room and the Holy Spirit would fall. They would speak with other tongues. They would exit that room. And you and I are sitting here this morning because what Jesus said would happen when the Holy Spirit came down did happen and you and I are a result of it. That when the Holy Spirit fell, the kingdom of Christ would be preached in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very end of time. But it would be based upon the power of the Holy Spirit to do so and that tongues, speaking in other tongues, would be part of that. So the question has to be, are we open to God being a God who can't be put in a box? Are we open to God doing whatever God wants to do in our hearts? You see, the day of Pentecost shifted from being something that Jewish people looked back over their shoulder and celebrated and were attached to, to where the same God that did that event that gave them purpose and meaning now individually and purposely filled them so that their future would be brighter than their history. I can't imagine being part of a faith commitment or a faith journey where you believe your best days are back there. The day of Pentecost is all about this, that I'm the God that did that back there, but I'm the God now that will personally endue you with power so that you can move forward and you'll do greater things than Moses could have ever, ever dreamt of doing. I believe that. I believe that. Now, with this in mind, believe me, you don't want a God who can be put in a box. You don't. If God can be put in a box, we are the sorriest of people. But I believe we serve a God through Christ who has come into this world and brought the Holy Spirit to us so that we can live a vibrant Christian faith that is Spirit-empowered. The day of Pentecost was all about law. It was about rules. It was about the commandments that would become the center of Jewish faith. God chose that day to pour out His Spirit with signs and wonders so that you and I could know that our relationship with God is no longer based on rules and regulations and laws and commandments. Now our relationship is based upon the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. It's dynamic, it's effective, it's powerful. And there's a big difference between the two. Big difference. Now what I know is there's some of us sitting here saying, tell us another Pentecostal story. Want to hear one? I'll tell you one more and then we're going to close. But the purpose for this story is to encourage your faith. It's not so that we can be entertained. It's just a story that I experienced that had to do with speaking in other tongues. The Bible is clear that if you speak in other tongues and it's not going to be interpreted, you're to do it in private. It must be done in private. I was part of a prayer meeting in Princeton where a group of Princeton University alumni who had graduated moved to an undisclosed Muslim country where they had committed to live out their lives. All of them, by their second year as Princeton students, reworked all of their curriculum, so everything that they studied had to do with the Muslim world. 
They moved there. And when they moved there, God began to move. Their first converts were horribly tortured. Some were killed. As God began to move in and through their lives, they had little pockets of churches that they had hidden in homes where through NGOs and feeding programs they were able to reach Muslim people and share the love of Jesus with them. One of them who returned, returned on the verge of death threats. He was receiving notes that if he went back to this undisclosed country, that when he arrived back, that these militants would kill his family. They gave a list of his family, where they lived, what time his children were going to school. All of this was listed, and he had these letters, and he was shaken to the core, and he was really praying about whether or not to go back. So we had a closed prayer meeting to pray for him. His name was Chris. And as we laid hands on Chris and we began to pray over him, because can you imagine being a father, you're married, you have children, and if you go back, the pending danger that could be there. Well, the Bible's clear that if you speak in other tongues, you can do so in an environment where people are called the informed. That's the word in Greek, informed. I knew that everyone in this little prayer meeting were people who understood the, gifts of, the gift of tongues, and so very quietly under my breath, there were about 10 of us, we were praying around Chris, I just began very quietly to begin to speak in other tongues under my breath. Unbeknownst to me, Chris was listening, and when I was finished praying, he turned to me and he said, Pete, you just spoke in a tribal dialect, and you told me that God would be with me. And that if I went back to that country, I would survive, and my children will not die. And that's what God revealed to him, as I spoke in other tongues. I share that story with you, because I want you to understand that I know in the Western world, tongues is viewed as a bizarre, weird thing. I want to encourage you with this. It's not. It's the gift of God. It's the power of God. It's how we handle it that makes it weird or annoying or off-putting. If we utilize the gifts as God has given them to us through Pentecost, it's a way where the kingdom of God can advance in ways you could have never, ever dreamt. Let's stand together as we close. As we stand together, we're going to close with very specific prayer. I know that there are some of us here that the prayer team will be praying with you. The prayer team's going to be praying for you. As a matter of fact, prayer team, if you want to begin to move forward at this time to greet those up front that need prayer, I'm going to ask us that we would conclude our time this morning by just simply opening our hearts to the moving of God's Spirit. I can tell you that in my 28 years of ministry, I've seen Princeton University faculty be touched by God in such a way to where they spoke in other tongues all the way to people who were literally living in the streets. I've seen God give that gift and bless people's hearts and lives. But here's what I also know. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is gentle like a dove. The Holy Spirit's not going to come in and mow you over. The Holy Spirit comes in where the Spirit of God is invited, where the Holy Spirit is welcomed, where the Holy Spirit is trusted. I'm going to ask over all of us that before we exit this auditorium today that we would conclude in a brief time of prayer where you and I would be open to the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. I have this strange conviction in my heart that some of us that call City Church our home, and you're a follower of Jesus, but you've said no to the Holy Spirit. Here's what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. That my Father, through the Holy Spirit, only gives good gifts to those He loves. He only gives good gifts. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, He will not give you a serpent. Those are the words of Jesus. That if you ask God for the Holy Spirit... He will give you a good gift. He will give you the power of the Spirit to move in you and through you.
So can we move towards God in prayer at this time? And as we do so, I'm just going to ask that we would leave our hearts open. That you, along with me, that you would welcome the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit is gentle. The Holy Spirit is like a dove. The Holy Spirit's not going to come in and mow you over. But the Holy Spirit does desire to deposit gifts in us that our Christian lives would be lived in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. The gift of tongues is just the first one that we see on the day of Pentecost. There's prophecy. There's words of knowledge. There's administrative gifts. There's words of encouragement. There's all different things that the gifts of the Holy Spirit can give to us and bring to us. So I just want to encourage you today that you would be the type of person who would be open to the fullness of the working of the Spirit of God. Jesus, we come before you now. You have linked yourself to the moving of the Spirit. You are the one that said, go and wait, and when the Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the age. Jesus, we stand here in this auditorium now as a group of people who are the recipients of, were the benefactors of the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. Jesus, now I ask over my own life, I ask over the lives of all of us in this auditorium, that we would be open to the working of your Spirit and that you would find in us receptive vessels in which your spirit can dwell and your spirit can move and gift us so that we would be a people who would not be about do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. We'd be about the spirit and the power of God. Jesus, now, fill us with your presence. Let us be a group of people who are about the Holy Spirit, that we would walk in the Spirit, that we would move in the Spirit, and that from those of us who are newer in faith to those of us who have journeyed with you for decades, may it be said of us that we are people who serve a God who is not confined to a box, but we serve a God who is powerful, a God who intervenes in relationship, a God who endues with power and with authority to live this life and to expand his kingdom. Jesus, thank you for your word. May we be a group of people who live in it and live through it. And I believe for this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's stay in an attitude of receptivity as Callie and the worship team begin to lead us. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare your Sit and see.
has been amazing to me is to see how many of my colleagues in ministry who for a long time were just against the gifts of the Holy Spirit who have begun to open to them. Many of you have heard of John Piper, the author of Desiring God. I watched a video recently of John Piper where he said publicly that every day he prays and asks God to fill him with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. I don't say this lightly, I almost fell off the chair when I heard him say that. But what I've seen is, is that many of us begin to understand that we need the fullness of God's power in our lives. That we don't want to limit God's power, we sense that we need it. As we go before the Lord as we exit, could it be said of us again that we're a group of people who are open to the fullness and to the working of God's Spirit? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for what you do in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would go with us. That maybe even today, before our, our head hits the pillow, that we would sense in our hearts an openness to the fullness of your Holy Spirit working in us and through us. God, I pray over those of us who are caged in with our intellect, with our scientific reality. I pray that faith would begin to supersede that, not ignoring it or leaving it in the dust, but to supersede that, that there's a God that cannot be measured or placed in a box, but there is a God who is powerful to save and a God who is powerful to fill us with his Holy Spirit, with the gifts of the Spirit, so that the kingdom of God would advance. And now may the Lord bless us May the Lord keep us. May he cause his face to shine upon us. And may he give us peace and the power of his spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you. Let's remain in an attitude of worship as we exit together.
To the one who's seated on the throne above all thrones. To the one who saw fit to gather all his children close. To the one I feel in the sunlight on my skin. To the one who shattered every remnant of my sin. Oh, to the one who was the one who is and is to come. To the
Pray. 